What's up, Sunday morning? How you guys doing today? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're joining us here today in person in the middle of like uh, a tropical storm that just got upgraded to Hurricane Watch. You guys are the real people that love Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and give yourselves a hand for being at church in the middle of this. And for all of you that are watching at home, we still love you even though you're a little afraid to come out. We want to invite you out next weekend. In fact, next weekend, everybody say next weekend. Next weekend, we're starting a brand new series. It's a series that uh, is actually one of my favorite series to preach every year. It is our legacy series, and we're going to be talking about our future as a church and some of the things that God is doing in the middle of this season. So I want you to make sure that you are back in church next week. I got an incredible, incredible message that I just cannot wait to share with you. And so if you're watching online at home, can we give it up for all of our family that's watching online at home right now? Man, we love you guys, we miss you guys, but listen, you need to be back in church, in church, not at home watching church, but in church next week. We want to see your face, we want to give you air fives if you're not ready for a high five and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but today, I, I'm excited about today's message. In fact, I, I'm going to call this message today, Testing Positive. I know that that is not uh, something that you want to test like in this day and age, in fact, this is the first time in history that everybody wants to, to be negative in life. But I want us to test positive in life. And here's what I know about testing is that tests are not a fun thing to go through. <laughs> Did anybody in, in school enjoy tests? Did anybody like love tests? Or, like can't wait for tests? Is there anybody out there hate test day? Come on, test day, people. You're like, I don't like test day. It's not my thing. In fact, I'm not a fan of tests, but I found some incredible answers to tests from kids. And how many of you guys know that when, when tests are given, sometimes kids have the best answers to tests that they're facing? In fact, I found this test. It says, why are there rings on Saturn? And this kid put, because God liked it so much, he put a ring on it. That kid gets extra credit right there, and then the teacher writes, Saturn was not a single lady. I don't know. I mean, has she been to Saturn? Does she know? I'm just assuming it's a woman teacher, but okay. Uh, how about this one? Where was the American Declaration of Independence signed? This kid wrote, at the bottom. <laughs> technically, that is a correct answer. I mean, that, technically, that kid got it right. How many of y'all think he should have gotten extra credit for that answer right there? That, that was a good answer right there. That kid, that's a smart kid. How about this one? Here's another one. Find X, my favorite thing. Here it is. <laughs> this kid is going to MIT. I'm just telling you right now. He is on his way. This, this is my favorite one, though, right here. It says, Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29. What does Bob have now? This kid wrote, diabetes. Bob has diabetes. I know that that's a little wrong, but it's probably true right there. I was like, I was like that... But tests, tests are a difficult thing, and some of us, we, we love tests, and, and based on the crowd in here, I don't know about you online at home, but the crowd in here, nobody liked test day. In fact, I, I was not a great test taker. Uh, I was thinking about this this week of, of my seventh grade year, and uh, this is going to show you a lot about the character of your pastor as a child, and so uh, during my seventh grade year, uh, I was at a private school, and during the middle of the year, a kid told me that his dad was a teacher at another school that was teaching the same exact curriculum that we were learning at this school, and he said, you know what, my dad has all the tests and all the answers, and I said, really? And I asked this kid, I said, do you think you could get those test answers? Some, 
And he's like, yeah, I think so. And so the next day he came to school with all the tests remaining for history for that year and all the answers. And do you know that your pastor cheated for the rest of the year? I, I know it's not, it's not good to admit. Confession, good for the soul, terrible for the reputation, right? But here's the deal. I, 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 we're getting ready for the final exam, seventh grade history. I was actually in detention of all places. And uh, one of the, how I was cheating that year, I'm not, kids, I'm not trying to give you ways to cheat, but here's how I was cheating. As I would take the test, and we had trapper keepers. You guys remember trapper keepers back in the day? And on the front, there was a clear kind of thing where you could stick papers inside. People were already doing the motion of sticking them. And so what I would do is I would come up with random words that started with the letter of whatever that answer was for each number of the question. I would number it and just put random words. And so I was in detention getting ready for the seventh grade history final exam, creating my cheat sheet that I was going to put in the front of my trapper keeper that would lay on the floor. And the teacher who was overseeing that detention walked over and noticed what I was doing and busted me in that moment. And I ended up getting suspended from school. In fact, they, uh, they thought I was going to fail seventh grade, <laughs> which is, I probably would have failed seventh grade without the test. But anyways, uh, and, and I got suspended in that moment. It was a testing season. You know what's interesting about tests? Tests reveal things that are already there in your life. And here's what I found out in that testing is that I had some character flaws. I had some integrity flaws. I had some, some issues in my life that I would try to take the shortcut than the long route. And, and honestly, that test, it, it didn't, it didn't ex- expose, it like revealed what was already present in my life. And I want us to know right here, right now, this season that we're in, we've been in like what is, seems like an eight-month test. Can somebody testify of that? We thought, we thought 2020 was going to be the greatest year ever like 2020 this is the year of vision it's 2020 vision and 2020 has turned into the greatest testing season of our life and in the middle of this testing season what it's doing is it's revealing some things inside of us and i don't want us to test negative coming out of this season i actually want us to test positive and so how do we test positive in this season how do we uh, come out as better parents how do we come out with a stronger faith how do we have a, a better marriage relationship how do we be more in tune with our financial world coming out of this season and i believe that if we test positive coming out of this then we will move forward into our future in a much better place and today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture out of acts chapter 16 and what is happening right here is, is that there's this guy named Paul, and he's traveling with a guy named Silas. And they are in the middle of the greatest season of their life. They're like seeing God do miraculous things. They're seeing healings happen. They're seeing people being transformed by the power of Christ. They're, they're starting churches all over the place. And God is just doing a miraculous work. It's almost like they are in the highlight reel of their life. And all of a sudden they come to this testing season. They come to this testing moment. And, uh, and, and, and what, what happens right here in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, it says, One day... As they were going down to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. 
They have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly, instantly it left. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. So, so Paul and Silas, like they're still doing good things. They just helped this girl out big time. Jumping down to verse 22, it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials and ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, then they were thrown into the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And so what's happening is, is they're going from the highlight reel aspect of their life, like they've never been more successful in life, to all of a sudden they're beaten, they're thrown in jail, not just in any jail, they're thrown in the inner depths of the jail. They're in the deepest, darkest place of their life. And they're in this season of testing Paul and Silas together. And I believe that Paul and Silas are trying to encourage us and teach us how do we test positive in testing seasons of life. And if you're taking notes today, what Paul and Silas are trying to teach us through this scripture right here what God is trying to say to you and I right here is that we need to choose community over isolation now what's interesting about this is that Paul and Silas were together in the good times when things were going good they were rolling together and when things started going bad you know what they didn't do they didn't abandon each other but they were still together in that moment and I realized that we're in a season where there is so much tension between people there is so much division between people it's so easy for us to take sides but we are not supposed to isolate from each other we're supposed to come together in community we're not supposed to see what our differences are we're supposed to look and see where are our similarities because there's actually more things similar with us than what are different and we need to put our politics aside we need to put our biases aside and we need to realize that we need to choose community over isolation in this season in a real, listen, I know that you are called to social distance right now in the season. That's what the world, social distance, social distance, social distance, but that does not mean social disconnecting which is what so many, listen, People watching online right now, I want to talk to you for a moment. I know you've been told to social distance, but you have disconnected from every relationship in your life. In fact, the relationships that you now have are all virtual. That is not real. It's not real. You that are sitting here in this auditorium and you spend your life on devices, those are not real relationships. You need people. You need people in your life you need brothers and sisters that will stand with you in fact go back to this verse in 22 we're going to put it up on the screen and there's going to be some yellow words here and i want you to say these words as i read the scripture with me it says a mob quickly formed against paul and silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods they were severely beaten then they come on follow with me <laughs> We're thrown into prison. Next verse. The jailer ordered to make sure that didn't escape. So the jailer put in the inner dungeon and clamped feet in the stocks. Did you notice that when it was good, they were together. And when it got bad, they were still together. Why? Because there is power in community. Like when you are going through the deepest, darkest dungeon of your life, you are not supposed to go through that alone. 
In fact, in the very beginning, God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. This was not about a, a physical intimacy between a man and a woman. He was just saying, listen, listen, listen. You need people in your life if you are going to make it through this life. It's not good to be alone because when you're alone, it's easy to sift you. It's easy to distract you. It's easy to get you isolated. And some of you, you've been in isolation for so long, it's time for you to get back in the community. And I realize, I realize, I realize so many people, they think to themselves, well, I should have already jumped back in. And because I haven't, they're living with shame. They're living with regret. And they think, well, I can't. And I want you to know, listen, if that's you out there, we have a sign in our church that says everyone's welcome. Because nobody's perfect. Listen, none of us have got this right. None of us have got this figured out. But everyone is welcome because nobody's perfect. And God can do the impossible in those moments. And listen, we need to understand if the enemy can get us isolated, you know what he can do? He can get you beat. The greatest thing the enemy has ever done is he has figured out how to get us alone all by ourselves and let our wild irrational thoughts get running right there and all of a sudden what happens is we get separated and we start living these internal lies out in our minds and they eventually come out in our life what's interesting being a pastor is that i've heard for years and years and years and years you know what, there's, I've, I've got all these toxic people in my life. I've got all these people that, that they keep just bringing me down. Listen, this has been a season where you've had the opportunity to get rid of some toxic people in your life. This is a season where you get to choose the relationships that are closest to you. And I want to encourage you in this season to choose people that are going to be Pauls and Silas's and Timothy's and people that are going to build you up and not tear you down. Choose people that are going to breathe life into your situation. They're going to breathe life into the depths of where you are in the best place you can find that is in the local church like there's not a greater group of people that are walking around with hope than the people that are in this room and I want to encourage you man evaluate your relationships right now and say who are the people I'm going to choose to be in my life and we've said it around here all the time if you want to change your life you've got to change your friends your life is a reflection of your five closest relationships. And some of us, we need to evaluate in this season and go, you know what? That person's a hater. That person's negative. You know what? I need some positive, life-giving, God-fearing, honorable people. And I'm going to surround my life with them in this season. Because when I make that change, all of a sudden, you know what will happen? Because I'm choosing community over isolation. I will start to test positive in life. And it goes on to say in verse 25, it says, around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. It says at midnight. At midnight. Which if you think about midnight, midnight is the darkest hour. It is the, the moment where light is the furthest away in that moment. It's, it's the moment where you feel like there is no hope. There is no breakthrough on the other side. There is no dawn that is coming in that moment. It is a dark, dark period and they said in the middle of that darkest period here is how you test positive number two you got to choose worship over worry you've got to choose worship over worry because these two things are polar opposites of each other worship and worry worship is choosing to put your focus and, and your attention solely on the god who is the king of kings and lord of lords worry is cho choosing to put your focus on all of your problems in fact i would say that worry is actually worshiping 
your problems in this season. And in a world where there are so many things to worry about, we got political issues that we're worrying about, we've got corona that we're worrying about, we've got our finances that we're worrying about, our security for our future that we're working about, our jobs that we're worrying about, our children's future that we're worrying about. And while the world recluses itself and just throws itself into a frenzy of worrying God's people, when worry comes, we go, man, that's not for me. I've actually got something else that I've got to do. I'm not going to give worry the time of day because God is going to get the best aspects of my day. In fact, I'm going to give God all of my attention and all of my focus no matter what is surrounding me. Why? Because in this moment, and more importantly in every moment, God is worthy of my worship. In Psalms 150, verses 1 through 6, it says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with a loud clanging cymbals. Let everything, let everything that has breath sing praises to the Lord. And he ends it, praise the Lord. Listen, church, why do we worship? Listen, God does not command us to praise because he's an egomaniac. God does not need your worship. Listen, God is self-sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need your giving. He doesn't need any of that. He is sufficient in and of himself. God does not command to praise because he's an egomaniac. He, does not, he commands it not for his benefit, but for ours. You see, when we worship, all of a sudden it starts to impact and affect everything in our life. Listen, he does not need our praise, but we need to praise him. Why? Because when that midnight hour comes in your life, and listen, that midnight hour is coming. Guaranteed for every single one of us. Maybe you haven't experienced a midnight hour, but if you're either in a midnight hour, coming out of a midnight hour, or about to go into a midnight hour. I'm just letting you know. It's in those moments that we worship that it changes things in those moments. See, worry makes my problem big. In my God small. And so many of us, we have put so much focus on what we are worried about. And the more we worry, the bigger that worry becomes. The bigger that worry becomes. It's, have you ever taken a moment and, and you looked at your hair, ladies, and it, it started off with, my hair's not good, and because my hair's not good, my outfit doesn't look good, and then I'm fat, and then, and then it just catapults to where you're like, I should just, I should just die. Why? Because worry takes us from a minute bad thing and turns it into a major thing. Why? Because my problems get big and how great my God is get small. But what we do when we begin to worship, it was worship makes my God big and my problems so much smaller. And what a lot of us need in this season is we need a shift to happen in your life. When you say, despite with what is going on all around me, Despite what's going on, my God is bigger than what I'm going through. And what we do in that moment is we say, man, God, I'm going to choose to worship you. And when you choose to worship, look at what happens in verse 26. It says, suddenly. 
Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner flew off. See what happens when we begin to worship is there is a breakthrough that takes place in the spiritual realm but not only in the spiritual realm it takes place in a physical realm. And a lot of our uh, of us we're thinking that that worry that we have is going to solve your problems. When is the last time your worry solved the problem? Never has. But you know what? We'll worship will. Worship will solve every problem you have. And sometimes what we have to do in the middle of the chaos in the middle of the storms, in the middle of the political unrest, in the middle of, of the frustrations of life is what we have to do in those moments is we just have to pause. We have to take a moment and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to magnify and glorify my God instead of my problem. And we just, we just got to take a moment and worship. In fact, I, I'm going to ask Josh here just to sing something real quick for us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Sing it one more time, Josh. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for See how in just a moment of worship, there was a shift in the atmosphere. There was a shift in the countenance of what you're focusing on. And I believe, church, in this season, God is trying to get us to test positive by shifting our focus, by shifting our attention, by shifting our gaze and all praise. Unto the one who deserves it all. He continues on in verse 27 and it said, And the jailer called for the lights. And he woke up and he see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him and said, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Pilate and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all that lived in his household, even at the hour of the night. 
The jailer cared for them and washed their wounds, and he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. What's interesting about this is, is, is how we test it positive and how we come out better is, is really, really different than how we would assume it would happen because I don't know about you, but if I'm in the middle of the deepest, darkest prison in life and, and all of a sudden my chains fall off and doors fly open, I'm out of there in that moment. Is anybody with me? Like if you're in prison and all of a sudden you have freedom, what do you do? You get the heck out of Dodge in that moment. Like, like if we're all honest, we would all dip out right there. But Paul does the exact opposite of that. He doesn't move in that moment. I'm like, Paul, you're weird. Like, that's not normal. Why? Because Paul is trying to teach us something of how we test positive. And here it is, number three. We have to choose others over ourselves. We've got to choose others over ourselves because what Paul realizes is now that I have been set free, now that I have had a breakthrough in my life, my breakthrough is not just for me, but my breakthrough is to impact other people so that they can experience breakthrough in their life. And listen, church, we are not a church that just lives here to get you set free so that you can be set free in life. We are here to help the lost, the hurting, the broken. We're here to turn around when we experience freedom and go, you know what? There has got to be somebody else around me right here, right now, that needs to experience the freedom that I've got. Jesus has not set me free just so that I can live in freedom, but he wants to use my test and my testimony now to bring freedom to other people. And it's so important that we stop being so selfish and thinking Christianity is all about me, myself, and I. Like, we've made it about us, and Jesus didn't come here to make it about him. He came to make it so that you could experience life. He said, I didn't come so that I could just have life, but I want to give life to others more abundantly. You know what he wants us to do? To give life to others more abundantly. See, we need to understand we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for some good works. We're not a church that believes that you can earn your way to heaven. The only way that you can get to heaven is by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ that he went and died on a cross so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. And there's nothing we can do to earn that free gift. All we have to do is accept that free gift. But when we accept that free gift, we have to realize that now we are saved for something. We're saved for some good works. And I believe that God set you in this place and in this time and in this season for a reason. I believe that we are saved to serve. We say it like this here at Coastal. Save people, serve people. It's one of our values here at church. That if you've been saved, if God saved you radically... And all of our salvation is radical. Then now you have a purpose. You have a responsibility. There is an assignment on your life with something for you to do. Like there is some service from the prison we've been set free from to look around and go, who else that's in prison needs to be set free? And I think that there are some really practical ways in this season of life that you can serve. One of those right now is probably the easiest one possible, and that's this. Be a good neighbor to people. Like, look around. There are people all around your life right now 
we have lost the art of neighboring. We've lost the art of actually knowing the people that live next door to us, actually knowing their name and knowing anything about them and what they're going through and what their story is. And church, we have a responsibility. We are about people. Like God wants you to have an impact on the people that are closest to you. Why? Because your life is a testimony. That test that you're going through is a testimony to them so that they know that there is hope on the other side. And the only way they're going to experience it is if they engage with you. 99 out of 100 people are never going to read God's word. You know what they're going to read? They're going to read the Christian. How about this one? If you see a need, try to meet it. If you look around, all around, there's people that are in need. There's not a lack of need right now. There's a lack of people that are willing to meet the need. Jesus said in Matthew, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve others by giving his life as a ransom for many. He saw a need, and he said, you know what, I can meet that need. We need to be a church that's looking around. We need to be a people that's looking around and going, who else has some chains on them that need to experience the freedom that I've experienced? How about this one? Share your resources. God has not blessed you with an abundance so you can just have another Maserati. Maybe a Mercedes, but not a Maserati. No, I'm just kidding. No, he's, he's given you resources not so that you can, can just be the end-all, be-all, but he actually wants to use you as a funnel. And the much, more trustworthy you become with those, the more he'll give you. Why? Because he wants to use you to make an impact on other people. I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about there are people all around that could use some things that you have. And God has resourced you in some incredible, incredible ways. It's time for us, instead of hoarding those things, to share those things. That's what the early church was known for. They were known as these people that would sell everything to help another person out. How about this? Number four, share the gospel. Probably the most important thing you could share is, is the hope of Christ. And in a world where people are more broken than ever, I think the door to people's hearts is more open than ever. Listen, church, I, I really, I believe with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength that God has said, man, we are on the great disverge of revival in our nation ever. And here's what I know. Revival happens when it, we get revived inside of us. When there is a hunger and thirst for the things of God, and we say, you know what? What God has done in me, every single other person needs to hear, see, and experience the life change that God has done inside of me. And I believe that people are more open to the hope and the truth of God than ever before. Because they thought they were going to get it through a politician. They thought that they were going to get it through a job. They thought that they were going to get that hope through that house. And none of those things have satisfied the depths of their hearts. Because there's only one thing that can satisfy the God-sized void in our life, and that is God. We can shove a car in there, but that only, that only helped for a little bit. We can shove another latte from Starbucks in there, but that only satisfied for about 20 minutes of caffeine high. It's time for some of us to get bold in our faith. 
Because here's why, and, and, and this is conjecture. I don't know. This is not necessarily true, but, but could it be possible? Could it possibly be possible that in the middle of the highlight reel of Paul and Silas's life where they're accomplishing more, God throws them in the deepest, darkest season, not because he wants them to experience darkness, but he loves this jailer and this family so much that he knows that the only way that they're ever going to experience the hope of Jesus Christ is if he puts some of the most godly people he knows into the place where nobody else can go so that eventually that jailer and his family can get reached. And what if you're going through this season right now, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of those all around you? See, see, this preaching doesn't get you fired up because it's not about you. And that's the problem, church. Because we've made Christianity about what is God going to do for me? No, no, no. Christianity is not what is God going to do for me. It's what am I going to do for God? And it's time for some of us to flip the script. This is not about you. This is about how do we elevate and make God more famous in this world? How do we show off his glory in life, not ours? And it's time for some of us to realize that we are in a season of testing so we can test positive and impact some other people. And I'm fired up about this because I think we're on the verge of something great. But it's going to start with us. It's going to start in our hearts, and it's going to start with us changing and transforming and realizing that my life is not my own. That when I gave my life to Christ, I surrendered my rights. I surrendered my desires to his service. Because he's not just my Savior, but he is my Lord, which means I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer CEO of my life, but he is. And I understand that this isn't stuff that grows your church, but you know what? This is stuff that grows you. And God is trying to grow some of us here today. He's trying to build us up because what he's looking for is a church that is revived so that they can see revival begin to happen inside of them, so they can see revival begin to happen within their city, so that their city can all of a sudden transform their, their state, so that their state can all of a sudden transform their nation, so their nation can all of a sudden transform the world. But it starts right here, right now, with us. So church, are you going to choose to test positive? Are you going to choose to test positive? Are you going to choose to focus on community over isolation? Are you going to choose to worship over worry? Are you going to choose others over yourself? Would you guys bow your heads and pray? God, we thank you that, God, I'm thankful that you've put us in tests right now. I know people are like, I don't want to be tested. No, 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 God, I want to be tested because I want you to reveal what is already in my life that I am unaware of. And God, I pray that right now that you start popping things up in people's minds, that there are some things that need to change. There are some focuses that need to be reshaped, that there are some opportunities that they are noticing of people, God, that you've put around their life that are, are not there to be an annoyance, but God, they're, they're actually there to be salt and light for those people. God, I pray that there would be a, a passion and a fervor to go, you know what, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be salt and light to people, that I'm going to be the, the hands and the feet of Jesus, that, man, Jesus isn't here right now in person, but he's in person in me. And he's, I want God, I want you to use me. I want you to transform me. I want to be that person that doesn't run away when I get set free because I experience freedom, but I'll stick around so that other people can experience freedom as well. 
And God, here's what I know is that maybe there's some people in here today that they're in their deepest, darkest moment. They're in the ultimate prison of life. And, and here's what I know is that you brought them to this season and this moment. And this is their Paul and Silas moment where you say, man, all you have to do is believe to be saved. And maybe you've never begun a relationship with Christ. Maybe you did a long time ago and you walked away. And God is here saying, hey, listen, 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 listen. I have not abandoned you. And I know you have changed right now, but I want to set you free. And what you have to do is you have to choose to believe. And if that's you, if you just pray this prayer in your heart, it begins like this. It begins by saying, God, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for my heart and for my life. God, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for paying the ultimate price on Calvary so that I didn't have to experience death, but I can experience life. God, come into my heart. Come into my life. Take over. God, I don't just want you to be my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord. God, fill me with your presence and with your love. Change me, transform me, renew me. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.